We're going to be looking in the book of Matthew uh, this morning, Matthew 5. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to just um, get ahead of the game and, and get there or on your phones, whatever, wherever the word is contained on you. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to just um, echo some of the things that have been said already in this service at the beginning. Um, that there is, I don't know if you're feeling it, I'm feeling that there is a, an atmosphere at the moment, in, especially in the UK maybe, where, where there's a lot of pressures on us at the moment. Um, wherever you may be feeling the pressure in your life, uh, whether that's in material elements, with, um, I really don't want to make this a, a sad sob story, but you know, there are a lot of pressure at the moment which we are, we are experiencing as a nation. Um, I've prayed already for, for many of those things. And I think one of the things that struck me, has struck me in the last kind of couple of months, more than anything else, is that we don't have control, do we? A lot of these things that we're experiencing, a war in Ukraine, a, the rising of all these other things, we as individuals, um, I, I don't know if it feels, what it feels like for you, but I feel a little bit like life, some, a lot of things in life, circumstances are outside of my control. And that produces all kinds of fruit in our lives, isn't it? I'm not sure if you're a control freak like me. I like my things in order. I like to have, you know, know what I'm doing when I wake up in the morning. I like to kind of think about, you know, next week I've got this or that planned and you know, this week we, we had to navigate, or I had to navigate tube strikes and train strikes and figure out my routines. And there's all these things that just seem to layer in our lives, and not for short periods, like long periods of time now. You know, we've gone through a whole se- season of COVID and restrictions. All these things have layered our lives with all these kind of pressures. And I just want to, I've been thinking, praying about what I wanted to preach after we finished um, the book of Peter, 1 Peter last week, which Clive so wonderfully finished off for us. Um, And I wanted to just focus our attentions this week and in two Sundays' time when I'll be preaching again on on the Beatitudes, on Jesus' words to us, to those who are called to be in the kingdom of God, to re-again ignite in our hearts that though there is bad news in the world, and every time you open your BBC app or watch the news, there is bad news, that we as the people of God have good news. We have good news, and this is the way Luke writes it, we have good news of great joy for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. And when pressure comes and when circumstances change and we're out of control, sometimes we forget we forget that we have good news, which we stand on. And when we were praying this morning in our pre-service prayer meeting, someone said the words that we have a firm foundation, a rock on which we can build our lives on that doesn't shift with shifting sands. And this morning and in the next couple of weeks when I'm going to be going through the, the Beatitudes, that's Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. Um, I'm going to break it into two parts, um, looking at the first half of the Beatitudes this morning. I want us to... Not, re, not rediscover the right, wrong word, realign ourselves as Christians for those who are in the kingdom of God that we have good news of great joy. Because when Jesus was speaking at the Sermon on the Mount, he, Jesus came as a teacher to teach the people about what it means to be in the kingdom of God, what it takes to become effectively a Christian. He, he, he preached to a people who were also oppressed, also under pressure, living under oppressive rule, the Roman rulers at the time. They were denied freedoms. Does that sound familiar to anyone in the last few years? Um, They were ruled over by heavy taxation beyond their control. They were living in uncertain times. That is what the nation of Israel was like in early century Palestine. 
And in the middle of that situation, Jesus comes and he invites people. He invites people to a life that the Beatitudes said is blessed. Despite the circumstances, despite being out of control, things outside of your control, being oppressed, he calls people into a kingdom of blessedness. And this morning, as we think about this and we hear Jesus' words, I want us to have an encouragement this morning, a renewed hope of an enjoyment of the blessedness of the kingdom of God. And our main focus today, we're almost like going to climb a bit of a mountain. This is how the Beatitudes are. There's, there's a number of Beatitudes statements that Jesus makes, which almost are like, um, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about how the Beatitudes is like a mountain. You climb these mount, this mountaintop through these statements till you get to the pinnacle. And the pinnacle is a glorious truth that we're going to hopefully hold on to today. But the pinnacle where we're going to go to today is Matthew 5, verse 6. Um, but I'm going to read, if it's okay with the media team, I'm, if it's okay, can I read from verse 1 through to verse 6, if that's okay? Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry to the media team, I sprung that on you. But if you've got your Bibles open, um, why don't we pray uh, and just ask God to speak into not just our minds, but into our hearts and to our spirits this morning. So, Father, I pray as we listen to your word this morning, as we hear the words of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord and God, would we hear your words, would they deposit a rich, into a rich place, into a good soil this morning? Would we hear the hope? Would we hear the blessedness? Would we receive the kingdom in a fresh way this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to read uh, Matthew 5, verse 1 to 6, if that's okay, Akash. Um, fantastic. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This morning, as I said, that we want to have a heavenly perspective. We want to, I want you, I want us all to experience the blessedness of being in the kingdom of God. And ultimately, what Jesus promises at the end of verse 6 is a satisfaction. To experience satisfaction that this world cannot offer, but only he offers. So what are the Beatitudes? Let's just have a bit of a kind of a, a step back. Um, the Beatitudes are a famous set of sayings, these blessed sayings that Jesus gives uh, and teaches his disciples at the beginning of his ministry. And they're almost like, there's eight different statements that are, that are listed here, and we'll go through some of them today. But often the Beatitudes have been misunderstood or misinterpreted as maybe by secularism or even in the church as these kind of eight individual statements of morality, if you do this, this happens. If you act like this or become like this, then this happens in your life. And in a way, that's true. But when we break it into these eight individual statements, actually, there's actually a flow of truth that God wants to lead us towards. Like going up a mountain, you claim this truth, it becomes true in your life. There's a next step, there's a next step. And you gradually get up to this statement of what we're looking at today, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These aren't just principles that you can take as pithy statements and put on your bumper sticker of your car. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how, how good best of those who mourn will be on the back of your car, but um, 
Um, but they're not just individual principles of eight different types of people that you might find in this world. What they are is Jesus, are teaching, Jesus is teaching that these eight characteristics are of one kind of person. They are of a person who has discovered the truth of what it means to live in light of God's truth, which is Jesus Christ. They are a way of life that is almost like characteristics of someone who is truly a Christian, somebody who has entered into the kingdom of God, someone who has been born again, as John's gospel writes. There's someone who has entered in. And I, I use the word true Christian in a very specific way this morning because I don't know what your view of what a Christian is. Maybe you think if you're looking online or you're here in this, and you've been in this church for a number of years, you can attend church, sing songs, um, give money, but yet not be in the kingdom of God. You can do a lot of moral good things and treat your neighbors well and, um, you know, take your neighbor's bins out when they're on holiday and, you know, be all the good neighbor, but not be a Christian and be in the kingdom of God. Because being in the kingdom of God requires us to experience these eight steps or these eight things that have been given to us through Christ. And the first one, if we take it, you cannot enter the kingdom of God until, verse 3, it says this, until you are poor in spirit. Until you are poor in spirit. What does that mean? To be poor in spirit, as Jesus puts it, is to realize or to recognize that our problems in our lives are beyond us. What we experience, and if you've lived a few, life, uh, lived a few years in this life, you'll recognize that you will encounter problems. Some of us recognize and uh, you know, experience that a little bit quicker than others, but many of the times that we are, in a way, conditioned, as even in our upbringing, I was thinking about my children now, um, who are in school, and, and they're conditioned to go out and achieve, and they're conditioned to, and the, and the message that is given to them is that life is going to be manageable. Life is manageable. I have the tools. If I just work hard enough, if I gather the right resources and people around me, then I can achieve and achieve and achieve. And this upward trajectory of life is like this. But if, as I said, if any of us have lived life, life isn't like this, is it? There are times when we hit a point where we don't have the resources. We don't have the capability. Life overwhelms us. And maybe you're feeling that right now in this place where you've reached a point where you, you can't make it. And that is what it means to be poor in spirit. That Jesus says that you've got to recognize, actually, we as people are bankrupt. We don't have the resource. We are poor. We cannot be self-sufficient in ourselves for this life. We can't overcome every obstacle. I'm not saying that we don't try hard. Please don't, don't take the point that you know, we should just give up now and just lose hope. But we have to recognize that to enter the kingdom of God, that we need to be poor, recognize that we are poor in spirit. And I love what Jesus starts with. You are blessed when you're poor in spirit because you recognize that you don't have enough resources, that things are, things are unmanageable. But also that we recognize that we're also, as people, capable of terrible things. And it's things that we learn, don't we, in, in the school playground sometimes. We learn that some people are, are terrible. And ultimately, at some point in time, we will learn that we, as people, are terrible. That we have the capability to harm, to be selfish, to um, live out a life that, that harms other people because of our selfish ambitions or our own greed. And often, you know, 
the world will tell you, take control, go take some self-help scheme, go and take a course in this to improve your self-esteem or your self-worth. Um, go get counseling to you know, reinforce your, your, the, 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 the truth in you that you can make it on your own. You have it. But Jesus says, no. There's a point we reach in our lives and the first step of entering the kingdom is that our problems, my problems are beyond me. That's the attitude we have to start with. The second thing that Jesus says in the Beatitudes is that once we realize that we have problems, that actually we have to recognize that we don't just have problems, but the problems are a result of my sin, of my inability to be right and be perfect. We recognize that we are sinner, that we mourn, we mourn, we're saddened by the fact that we recognize that it's, the problem isn't the government, the problem isn't uh, my parents because they, you know, they didn't buy me um, the He-Man figure when I was eight years old or whatever it was. You know, that isn't the, the trauma. Yes, all these things affect us, but ultimately it comes down to a recognition that within myself I have the capability and I have the, the sinfulness, sinful nature and the problem is not the circumstances around me, but the problem actually is in me. Within me, I have the capability to do horrendous things. And without grace, you know, where would we be? We stop blaming others. We stop blaming the world. We recognize um, that, you know, we, 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 have, we have to mourn for those things that we realize that grieve God. Um, and what does the world tell us in that sense? It tells us that actually we can be masters of ourselves. If only I master myself more, if only I learn myself better. And ultimately what it is, is that when our sin comes, we choose to place ourselves to be in charge of our lives rather than admit that we need to know God and receive and place him at the center of our lives. So when we mourn, we recognize that we have placed ourselves in the center, not God who created us, the one who knows how life is to work for us. The third thing that Jesus leads us to is meekness. So once you recognize that we have problems in our lives, once we recognize they are beyond us, once we recognize that uh, our hearts um, and my problem is my sin and my selfishness, then what, what, what happens in our lives? We either can choose to become despondent and despair, and that's not my intention this morning to lead you towards that, but the truth is that they can lead us towards despair, or for, other, for some of us, it leads us towards anger. As I'm speaking now and telling you that you don't have enough, that you are not capable, that um, you, have, you, you have to mourn because you are inside yourself, you are sinful, that you become defensive. And what Jesus says is to enter the kingdom of God is to recognize our poverty, to recognize and grieve for our sin, but also to turn towards life, to turn towards meekness to lay aside our defensiveness and to come meekly before God and acknowledge that we need his help. We need a solution. We need forgiveness. We need provision that is outside of us. We don't have the provision to save ourselves. We don't have the solutions on our own. And that is where Jesus lands us at this key verse I want to look at now, which is verse 6. He says, the first three Beatitudes tells us to enter the kingdom of God, to experience the blessedness of the kingdom in this life, we have to turn away from our self-sufficiency, 
We turn away from that life and we turn towards. We turn towards righteousness. We turn towards what God says is righteous. So we're going to just take, hopefully that's just a bit of an introduction to the Beatitudes. And I'm probably going to get lots of complaints if I say that's the end of the sermon. Let's go home now. Um, But we're leading, remember I said we're leading up this mountain. We're climbing this mountain and we reach, we're going to reach the pinnacle. What do we do? Well, we turned away from ourselves. We recognize our poverty. We, but now we're invited to turn towards a beautiful, wonderful, glorious heart of hope in the gospel. Let me just read verse 6 again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or they shall be filled. What is this blessedness? that Jesus is offering us this morning. It's not, and I just want to be clear, that sometimes the narrative we hear in our world is to be happy, seek after happiness. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? Sounds, oh, of course, you want to be happy, you seek after things that make you, make you feel happy. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are you if you seek after blessedness. Happy are you if you seek after happiness. And this is almost like a universal truth of the world, isn't it? That if you, I don't know, we've experienced it and we see it in people's lives. If people are seeking after happiness for happiness sake, they will, be, they will not find happiness. If they seek after blessedness in the material things that they think will make them happy, whether that's money, that's success, um, popularity, uh, exam results, your work, your, your, your uh, ability to earn money, wealth, then those things ultimately will not satisfy. Jesus is saying clearly, blessedness is not a product of seeking after blessedness. Blessedness is a product, a byproduct of seeking after righteousness. It's like when you turn your eyes towards the, the, the bright thing, everything else comes with it. And Jesus says this in, later in uh, Matthew. He says, um, blessed are, what does he say? Um, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness they should be satisfied. But later on, Jesus also said that um, the kingdom of God is this, that, that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these other things shall be added unto you. If we set our eyes on the thing, we set our eyes on heaven, everything else in the earth, that good things that God wants to bring out of that comes with it. And that might not mean you reach a million pounds or a billion pounds or whatever, but it does mean that you set your eyes on the right thing and God fulfills the rest. And the promise is that you are satisfied. If you seek after happiness for happiness sake, whatever you think that may be, you are disappointed. You'll be disappointed. But if you seek after righteousness, everything else is added onto us in God's goodness and in his faithfulness. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here, by the way. (laughs) All I'm saying is that God knows what we need we can be satisfied. If it's a small salary, but God is with us and we've got his righteousness, we'll be satisfied. If you're longing for a spouse and God gives you his righteousness, he says you can be satisfied. These are real heart issues, guys. I'm not trying to be meek about this or whatever, but it's true that we've got to find out that happiness will not be found if we seek after what's, how the world says happiness is found in. It's found in this righteousness, only in God's kingdom, only in his righteousness, centering our lives on that. Let's have a think about what that means, hunger and thirsting. It says here that we have to hunger and thirst. Um, 
I think in this country, we find it very hard to know what hunger and thirst feels like, don't we? I'm not saying there aren't hungry people in the UK. Um, you know, there is plenty of us to do to, 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 to serve people who cannot afford or go hungry. But I'm saying in most times when I go to London or I'm in St. Albans, there is not a problem finding it's more like, what do I want to eat, rather than can I eat, or should I eat? It's more, that's the problem I have, it's too much choice. But to really experience hunger, if you've ever felt hungry, maybe we've, we've gone on a run or something, or we've done some exercise, and we just can't find our water bottle, and it's blazing hot, and we know what, we have a taste, don't we, of what thirst and hunger feels like. It's an ache, it's a pain, almost. It's, a, it's like, I, I just need this thing to go away, and I know that I need something to satisfy me in this, to meet my need. And Jesus says, and, and this is true for every single person, that everybody in this world hungers and thirsts. Hungers and thirsts. The question is, what is it that we hunger and thirst after? People wrestle, people wrestle for all kinds of things to try and satisfy themselves. A deep, desperate longing. But Jesus says that it's righteousness that we have to hunger after, righteousness. So what is righteousness? Because that's quite important, isn't it? And um, as I said, everybody's hungry and thirsting after something. And I'd say that people are hungry, hungry and thirsting after a form of righteousness, a type of righteousness. And what does the word righteous mean in the Bible then? The word righteous ultimately means that it's meaning, has its meaning in finding approval, in finding approval, in being accepted by somebody, in being received by someone, by being welcomed into someone's presence. That's kind of the heart of what righteousness means. It's a status, it's a place that we can have. And let me give you, try and give you some examples from what righteousness means in life. So what do all these four um, situations have in common? Just think about them with me. Maybe you're going tomorrow for a big job interview. You know, the one you really, really want. Maybe you're uh, an artist or a musician and you're going for a, um, an audition. And you've got, to bring your, you've got to perform in front of these people, in front of these, this crowd to, to, who's going to judge you and, and see whether or not you're, you're, you're good enough for you know, the, the, the band or for the ensemble. Um, what about if you are going on a date, for example, and you're just hoping that the person might like you back. And you really like them, so you really hope that they'll like you back. Or maybe you're going for an interview for universities, for a place at university, you know, the next step, you know, this is what you really want. What do all of these four scenarios have in common? All of these four scenarios, probably, they're probably all nerve-wracking. You know, anyone had a job interview, anyone, you know, gone to these things, we probably have. These all situations are nerve-wracking and, and there's an anxiousness about it. The question is why? Why are these situations so anxious, anxiety-provoking and nerve-wracking for us? It's because what we're longing for, what we're hoping for at the end of that is to hear a verdict, is to hear from the opposite side of the table, whatever it is, you know, that was a great performance, well done. We really need you and your triangle to join our band. Um, or, you know, you want to hear from, from the lady that you've been dating, oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to go on another date with you. Um, bring flowers next time. Um, or, 
you know, we're, we're waiting for the verdict to be, yeah, you have the skills for this job, we want you, we're going to pay you more. Uh, we want to hear, don't we, the approval of the other person on the other side of the table, which says, yep, that's your right, you're exactly what we need, you're right for this job, you're right for this, you're right for me. And that is effectively what righteousness is when we break it down into its, into its forms, that the opposite side of the table, the verdict is yes, we want you. I want to go on a date with you again. And you know what that does? It gives us an amazing boost, isn't it? Wow, suddenly, wow, this person, uh, ooh, suddenly our worth and our, everything about us kind of goes, wow, you know, this is amazing. I'm, I'm feeling good because someone has produced, pronounced a verdict over our lives that you are accepted. You are what we want. You are what we need. But what happens if the verdict is no? What happens when the verdict isn't what we hoped for? We feel rejected. We feel distraught. We feel destroyed because we haven't received the standard that we were supposed to have. And we're all struggling. Everybody in this world is struggling and hungering and thirsting after acceptance. Whatever form that may build, be in your life. We build our identity, don't we, into being received, being accepted. And it's such a deep thing when we think about it that if it's our careers or friendships or relationships or popularity or the attractiveness of how we look before other people or our good works or our moral behavior, if we set our standard as that, as we hunger and thirst after that, if we hunger and thirst after our families, or our friendships, if we hunger and thirst after our careers or how we look, our attractiveness. Not These aren't bad things, by the way. Let's all look good. Let's make an effort. But if we hunger and thirst after those things and we don't receive the acceptance from other people, then we feel that, oh, that anxiety, that crushedness. We're all struggling. Everybody in this world is struggling and thirsting for righteousness, for what makes us feel acceptable. So my question to us this morning is simply, what are you hungering after this morning? It's a pretty deep question that we have to take time over, but are there obvious things that we're seeing in our lives that are, we're hungering after in place of what Jesus says is true righteousness? I'm not saying this is for everybody, but often when we place our, our, our identity, our longings and our thirst for things other than Christ's righteousness and his kingdom, we feel an anxiety, don't we? We feel like maybe it takes time. I think for men it takes a bit longer, but we suddenly realize, actually, we recognize that um, this, if I place my hope and my identity in achieving this standard, you know, this career goal, and that's the thing I give my life to, when we get to that point, what Jesus was saying in negative connotation is that you won't be satisfied. Only righteousness and his kingdom will find satisfaction. And each of us in this world, I think everyone in this world, does to some level, whether they, they're at that place or not, will recognize that this anxiety and fearfulness of not meeting the standard um, is a deep um, truth that everyone has to recognize. And it says in Romans 3.10, very simply, Paul says, very few words, nobody is righteous. Nobody is righteous before God. Nobody has the perfect standard that they can meet. We may try and be moral. We may try and 
be mournful and try and be poor in spirit and we can try and be um, uh, meek and you know these things but ultimately unless we recognize that even our righteousness our good works our moral behavior our righteousness as well has to be repented of then we cannot enter the kingdom of God what because what matters more than anything what brings us that satisfaction in our lives is not the opinion of people around us, but the opinion of our creator. The approval of the one who created life, who created you, who created and knows you from your head to your toe, your beginning and the end. There is a God who says, seek after what? My righteousness, my kingdom, and what matters is the approval of God. And that, for many of us, might sound fearful, what does God think of me? Does he like me? Have I done enough? Some of us, are, our response is, have I done enough good things to make God approve of me? And I want to tell you this morning that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that you don't have to meet his righteousness by your own ability. You meet God's righteousness through being poor in spirit, recognize you don't have enough, mourning over it, coming to God. And what he gives us is a righteousness that we could never, ever, ever produce in our own selves. The righteousness that God speaks and gives to you is something that you can never achieve through your good works, can never achieve by being the best neighbor in the world, by working the hardest you can ever be, by being moral, by being upright as a citizen in this world. The, more, the righteousness that God gives us needs to be perfect. And it's something that we do not have in ourselves. Let me just explain it in this way. Um, when we're hungry, if we've got food, we will eat it, right? Anybody? That's my normal behavior pattern in the morning. <laughs> if I'm hungry, I, I, I go get food. But what Christ is saying is that we hunger and thirst because we cannot, we don't have that food. We don't have that satisfaction in our grasp. It has to be given to us a perfect righteousness. So this righteousness is the heart of the gospel. This righteousness that we need to have to enter the kingdom of God is one where we need to be born again and it starts with recognizing we don't have it. We're not enough. Acknowledging we are poor, that our record is bad and earns us nothing. And it starts with us turning to God and recognizing that he has given us a righteousness that came at the cost of the cross, his perfect son living the perfect life, dying for our sins to take them away, rising to new life to offer you his righteousness, his right standing. It cost, us, cost him his son, but he did it willingly for our behalf. And if you're theologically, what people call this is, is imputed righteousness. A righteousness that we don't generate ourselves, but is something that is given and put on us and placed on us. I remember a few uh, months ago, I used an illustration with my daughter that Christ's righteousness is bought on the cross, this white gown, and he, Jesus takes it off, and takes away our sin, and places this white cleanliness, this righteousness on top of us like a garment. And that is what God's righteousness is. It's a gift of grace that we don't deserve. It's an automatic, instantaneous 
transformation of your position before God from unrighteous to righteous. It's a whole new birth that happens at that moment when we recognize we don't have enough, but we turn to Christ. And it's given to us as a free gift. And as a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing we have to hold on to in this life, that this morning, if you are um, feeling the pressure of this world, what I want you to do, what I want us to do is to hear these, these words of what imputed righteousness means to us, that we have received it. This is what 1 Peter 3, 18 says. Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christ died for your sins, that you could be made righteous and be brought to God. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. God made him who had knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. It's a gift to you this morning, his righteousness. It's something that we have to wake up in the morning every single day, every day of our lives and remind ourselves that the good news is that I am righteous before God. Not because of what I've done or how I acted last night towards my wife, but because Jesus has died for me and taken away my impurity and given me wholeness. Tim Keller summarizes it as this, a great author, Christian author and, and writer and, and speaker. He says, Christian, in Christianity, the moment we believe and trust in Jesus, God imputes God's, Christ's perfect righteousness on us as if it was our own we get the standard of what Jesus lived. Jesus gives us the standard, the seal of approval of the Father because of what he has done, his performance. God imputes Christ's perfect righteousness to us as if it was our own. He adopts us into his family. In other words, and hear this, please hear this, God says, just as he once said to Christ when Christ was baptized, you are my child who I am well pleased. Every one of you now who is turned to Jesus, Jesus speaks over you this morning, you are my child of whom I am well pleased. You are my child who I am well pleased. It's not because of what anything special I've done, it's because of what Jesus has done. And he gives that to you this morning. And would you be secure in that? What does this, why does this matter? Why am I laboring? Why am I going on about righteousness? Because when you have that in your heart, when you recognize that it is Christ's righteousness, his approval, it changes everything. It changes the atmosphere of what you're experiencing in life right now, the pressures that you're under. Because only God's verdict matters. Because only God's approval really matters at the end of the day. Not the approval of man, not whether I can make my million, not whether I can afford this or that, or my kids will be all right. What matters is that I'm placing all my eggs in that basket, his righteousness, his kingdom, because God's verdict matters the most. Let's go back to those four situations. Maybe you're going for a job interview because you're needing a new job. If you don't get that, 
there's no fear of rejection. Yeah, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to, best, I'm going to try everything I can to prepare and to do the best I can to, um, to, to say who I am truthfully. But ultimately, if I don't get that, I trust in God's approval. He says, well done. You're my child. If we don't get that call back from the, the lady for that date, to lead us to despair, we might have a few blue days, definitely. But ultimately, we trust ourselves in God's approval. God says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. That's what matters the most. If you don't get that university place, and I know not many of the six formers are here right now, but I know a few of them have received results this week, and we've been praying for you if you're online, watching online. If you got the results, fantastic. If it's met your ambitions, fantastic. If you didn't, you are loved. You are treasured. Your life is not over. Because God says, you're my son. You're my daughter, who I'm well pleased because of Jesus. This really matters because our identity is not found anymore in achieving and trying to do better or trying to upskill ourselves or the next level. Our identity is found and hidden in Christ. It's yours, given now for eternity. Jesus in eternity and God in eternity is going to say, you are my son. He's not going to withdraw it tomorrow because of something I did wrong. Or he's not going to withdraw it because, you know, you didn't, you didn't serve breakfast to your wife or <laughs> forgot to pick up your kids. You know, Jesus doesn't take these things away. He gives it to you. It's yours. Your righteousness is found and it's your identity is secure now forever. And that changes everything. When we succeed in life, and many of us will succeed well in life, well done, we don't get puffed up anymore. Look at me, look what I can achieve. You know, we're not that, because it's not about me and my righteousness, it's about God's righteousness and his kingdom. This is grace given to me. I'm his son. I didn't deserve this. We don't get puffed up when we succeed. When we fail, yes, we go fall down, but we get back up because rejection from the world is no longer the last word. God's word is the last word. And he says, well done. You are loved. You are my child in whom I'm well pleased. There's no room for bragging, is there, anymore? There's no room for selfishness. There's no room for self-centeredness anymore. The fruit of righteousness is love, joy, peace. The fruit of the Spirit comes and it fills our lives. And we're going to talk about that in the next week. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Ultimately, when we center ourselves on Christ's righteousness, there's no more room for self-centeredness. There's only now, it belongs to Christ. I've been bought with a price and I no longer live, but the life I live, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I think that's Galatians 2.10. Come on, guys, this is what we have to be because what Jesus promises is blessedness. What he promises us now, if you're experiencing the struggles and the strains of life, he says, you are blessed because of my righteousness. And what I will do, and what God promises in this word, in this passage today, is that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Isn't that ultimately what we want? Isn't that ultimately what we want? Is if only I feel that beautiful satisfaction in my life right now, in every area of my life. There is a satisfaction that we can experience that the world cannot offer. And the invitation to you this morning, whether if you are in the kingdom of God, you have that satisfaction. You have tasted that satisfaction. 
You've tasted what it is to know the Lord and to love him and to experience his joy over you. My question is to you, are you in the kingdom of God this morning? You may have attended church for years. You might have done all these, the, the works, the mechanics of church. But unless you've entered into the kingdom of God, this righteousness and received it for your own, not of your own works, then we can never feel that satisfaction that we're hungering after. But if you have, for the Christians, for the true Christians, I use that term again, I'll invite you to live in light of his righteousness over you. To live in light. Let that be the filter for how you see life right now. When you walk out this door, when you go to school or work, or you're looking forward to the future, am I seeking after Christ's righteousness and his kingdom? Am I centering myself on that? You can have ambition, please, you can have ambition, you can have goals in life. But if that's the goal, if, if happiness for this, the goal is the goal for the sake of the goal, but not Christ's righteousness and his kingdom, you will not be satisfied. But if you place his righteousness, his kingdom first, all other things will be added unto you. That is his promise. So I encourage you, the Christian in this room now, set your heart on Christ's righteousness. Set your heart and hunger and thirst after that what Jesus has offered you. Eat, be satisfied, be content. Serve others, tell others about this hope that you have. Free from guilt, free from judgment, free because of God's everlasting approval over you. But for those of us here who maybe have attended church, what I may be speaking about this morning, this satisfaction, this righteousness, Maybe you're still feeling anxious towards God. Does, does God approve of me? Does he really? What I want to invite you to this morning is to turn, to recognize that we are poor in spirit. We don't have enough. To repent of our righteousness. Not to be defensive, but to turn and go, you know what, God, I recognize I don't have what it takes. And thirdly is to receive what Jesus has bought for you on the cross. By his death and by his resurrection, we are adopted into becoming children of God. God says welcome. Everyone is welcome. You haven't, you haven't got the best upbringing? doesn't matter. You're welcome. You're a different ethnic minority? You are welcome. You don't have this standard of whatever it is, middle class living in St. Albans? No, you are welcome because it doesn't matter about what you have, what you've done it matters about what Christ has done for you. And if you will humble yourself and receive that, the gift of righteousness is yours, which comes with the gift of heaven, the satisfaction in this life, and life everlasting. We die to ourselves, we are born again, and we enter the kingdom of God. This morning I want to pray for us as Zach comes and just leads us in the last song. Let's, let's just reflect on some of the questions that God has raised to us this morning. Where am I placing my righteousness in this morning? What am I saying back to God this morning? Am I saying, I've, I'm working hard, God. I'm trying my best. Maybe what we need to do is to stop and say, God, I don't have enough but you are sufficient for me, Jesus.
Maybe you're longing and hungering and thirsting. And the kingdom of God, the righteousness that Jesus invites you into has not been the focus. And Jesus and God says to you, my child, hunger and thirst after my approval because it is already yours. Come, enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray this morning as we've just been settling over and mulling over your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you, before the beginning of time, knew already what we needed. We needed salvation. You knew already that we didn't have enough. And though we strive and, and struggle and wrestle for righteousness, we can't find it in ourselves. But this morning, we want to lift up Jesus, who on the cross gave his life freely for this world. You took away our sin through your death. You bought us righteousness and gave us new life through your resurrection. So we rejoice in you this morning, Jesus. If your heart has never turned to Jesus this morning, if you know that you need a righteousness not of your own, I want to invite you to ask Jesus to forgive you. I want you to recognize that you don't have enough. I want to invite you, what the word says, to repent, to turn away, but to turn towards Jesus. And I want you to ask him for his forgiveness and his righteousness. God, I pray for my friends in this place. Would we turn away from ourselves, our self-centeredness? Would we turn towards you and receive the righteousness that Jesus has brought for us? Would we hear this morning of your goodness, of your forgiveness, of your words? You are my son, you are my daughter, of whom I am well pleased because of Jesus Christ. Amen.